Today on the podcast, we talk about a federal judge who is not going quietly into that good retirement. A 95-year-old jurist is facing complaints about her mental faculties, and those complaints come from her fellow judges on the bench. We break down this ugly and nearly unprecedented spat and talk about when or whether federal judges should be forced to step down. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly news podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. Sometimes when someone is getting up in age and maybe their ability to take on work isn't what it used to be, their colleagues pull them aside and either gently or not so gently urge them to retire. That's basically what's happening right now on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, except it's not a private conversation in an office or a hallway. It's a formal complaint that now the whole world knows about. That complaint was filed by Kimberly Moore, the chief judge of the Federal Circuit, against her 95-year-old colleague, Judge Pauline Newman. This is a relatively obscure federal appellate court that's mainly known for handling nearly every patent case, and Newman was appointed to it by Ronald Reagan back in 1984. Newman has been serving as a judge ever since, but now Moore, again the chief judge of this court, has filed a formal legal document alleging that essentially Newman is cognitively impaired and unfit to serve. It's unusual for anyone to file a formal complaint like this against a sitting federal judge, but for the complaint to come from another judge, well, that's almost unheard of. Bloomberg Law reporters have been all over this story ever since rumors of Judge Moore's complaint surfaced earlier this month, and we have two of them on the show today to talk about it. In a bit, we'll hear from Kaustuv Basu about the implications from all of this for the whole tradition of lifetime appointments in the federal judiciary. But first, we'll hear about the Judge Newman situation from Kelsey Griffiths, who started off by telling me exactly how long Newman has been on this court. She was actually, um, very interestingly, the first direct appointee to the federal circuit. The court, at least as we know it today, was created when a couple different federal appeal tribunals were smushed together to create the federal circuit. And um, a lot of judges at the time were kind of moved around that they had been on the other courts. They were then moved into the federal circuit. But Judge Newman was the first one who was directly appointed by President Reagan to sit on the federal circuit. And she's been there um, since then. Um, okay, so now let's dig into the complaint. What uh, is Judge Moore uh, saying about her colleague, Judge Newman, and what, what's in the complaint? Yeah, so there are um, four prongs of complaints against Judge Newman, and two of them are kind of intertwined. So I think the, the, the big two are her mental and physical capabilities. Those um, abilities have been declining, according to Judge Moore. So there were complaints coming from colleagues and staff, um, and it seems like that is what prompted Judge Moore's sort of inquiry into this and the complaint that she ultimately filed. The court actually released a statement confirming all of these things because they knew that it was, you know, being talked about, people were really watching this, and they went ahead and released a couple documents that detailed the complaint, the allegations against Judge Newman, and a document that says they are now expanding the scope of this investigation to include her failure to cooperate. So that's about all we know at this point. Um, it's, it's you know, a really interesting story to report on because, again, these are details that are not typically made public, and the court itself is limited in what they can tell us. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this has to be an extraordinary measure. I mean, this isn't something that you just start with. You don't start with the complaint. There must have been a lot of work behind the scenes and sort of casual informal conversations talking to 
Judge Newman about this before we got here. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So one of the things that really makes this saga unusual is that most complaints against judges in their capability to do their jobs, they don't usually bubble out into public view. These are usually conversations that are had informally. Um, These are usually conversations between colleagues and sometimes the family members of the judges where the relatives and the the colleagues will be like, hey, you know, maybe you should consider retiring. Like, wouldn't you rather be on a beach somewhere? (laughs) Wouldn't you rather have less of a caseload? And um, in Judge Newman's case, she wasn't receptive to that. So that's kind of why we've seen this escalation. Well, I want to dig into the allegations that she is failing to cooperate, Judge Newman, because that's really one of the things that stood out to me when I was reading your reporting is that it sounds like she's not cooperating with this process at all to the ex- to the extent that she has apparently told her front desk at her home to reject any correspondence from the court. That's pretty extreme. Uh, what's going on here? How did the relationship between Judge Newman and her colleagues get this bad? Yeah, so I, you know, I think that obviously we still don't have as much visibility into this as we would like, but... I think it's very clear that the um, informal process or the informal communications didn't work with Judge Newman. Yeah. And a lot of the people who I've been talking to who are supporters of Judge Newman and who are kind of in her camp have said, look, I was just at dinner, at brunch, I was at a conference with her, and she is totally fine. And so they feel like this is being motivated by something else. Um, that's something else we haven't really been able to nail down. Um, but, you know, I think there's a lot of hurt on 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 Newman's side. And it's important to note that she does have supporters. It's not like she's just sort of by herself saying, you know, I'm fine and, you know, the world is wrong. Like, they're, this is not, you know, she's not out on an island by herself. That's right. Yeah. Um, let's broaden the scope of this discussion a little bit. And I want to bring Stu in here because you took this opportunity to talk about the whole concept of lifetime appointments for judges, which we have all across the federal court system. Um, I get the sense there's not a lot of oversight here or when something like this happens, there's not a lot of formal mechanisms to deal with this. Can you get into how the process plays out when there are concerns about a judge's mental faculties? So for federal appointments, there's no real process. Uh, you know, traditionally, family, friends, or colleagues would steer them towards a senior judgeship or um, retirement. Yeah. But in this case, uh, this is like the extreme scenario. And um, this kind of situation doesn't happen a whole lot. Uh, But there is some precedent here in 1975 when Supreme Court Justice William Douglas had a stroke. He could no longer function properly, but he would not step down. So the court decided to ignore Douglas's vote on critical appeals and held over cases where his votes would be decisive. He finally retired late in 1975. That's a pretty extreme example in and of itself. But, you know, did anything else happen? Did we have any other way of, you know, having oversight over judges after that? Or or is it still just a really informal process? It is really an informal process. Um, you know, more than 30 states have fixed retirement ages for appellate or general jurisdiction judges. Uh, but no such mechanism exists uh, at, at the, the federal time. level. And, you know, this problem is going to keep coming back because the average age of a federal judge is 69. Yeah. And people are living longer and are working longer. And, yeah, you're right. We are going to see this this come into to play a lot more. 
What's the solution here, though? Because, you know, you had a source in one of your stories uh, give the example of Tom Brady, who, of course, was, you know, well into his 40s and still out there throwing the football. Um, It seems like we don't necessarily want to have a mandatory retirement age for all judges. But what's the solution aside from that? So, you know, the the uh, pros of having a judge who's very experienced is that they bring wisdom. Yeah. Uh, and so that's been the argument for lifetime appointments. Uh, I spoke with Francis Shen, who's a professor at the Harvard Medical School Center for Bioethics, and he su- suggested a health assessment program that would collect uh, data when a judge was uh, nominated, and there would be follow-ups every five years, and the results of these follow-ups would be confidential. Yeah, that was a great point because it's not enough to do cognitive you know, screening of judges when they're old, you need to do you need to get set a baseline when they're not old, so then you can see if they are declining. So, so you're saying that, you know, even if you had a judge appointed in their 30s, you'd start doing cognitive screening then, and then keep doing it for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I mean, he spoke very generally because you know there's yeah. no established uh, you know rules here, but yes, th- that was what he was suggesting. That would be really interesting. I mean, it sounds like that's a, you know, uh, a long way off. I don't see you know, Congress passing uh, a law requiring that anytime soon. But that seems like it would be a potential solution to a situation like this. And I think that would also require judges sort of being willing to accept a new norm, right? Judge Newman here has has pushed off the attempts to have her undergo a medical assessment. And I think, you know, if that were to become the baseline for the legal industry, judges, um, current sitting judges, especially ones who have been there for a long time, would really have to sort of change the way they think about the information that they're willing to give up to the public. I guess it would be kind of like with presidents where, you know, uh, Joe Biden gets a, a medical screening every year and they release it. I mean, they don't release all the information, but they you know give a summary. And maybe that's something that we need to start doing for, for judges. Is that the, the basic idea? Yes. You know, one of the things that came up in the course of my story was for lawmakers, there is a kind of process, and that is they keep going back to the voters every two, yeah. four, or six years. But voters voters can fire lawmakers at regular intervals. We can't fire judges. Exactly. And that's where, you know, uh, a solution might be needed here. Mm, wow. All right. Finally, sort of wrapping it up, Kelsey, um, where are we headed? Uh, because you had a scoop on Friday last week uh, that Judge Newman is fighting this and is not only fighting this, but is asking for this to be moved to another court, maybe the Supreme Court. Um, what's what? Where are we headed here? It sounds like this is going to be a long process. Yes, I do think that we are probably facing a protracted battle. And a lot of people are watching this saga closely because, like I said, we we really haven't seen something like this, at least in a long time. Um, Right now, the new Civil Liberties Alliance is representing Judge Newman, and they have filed letters both with Chief Judge Moore at the Federal Circuit and Chief Justice Roberts at the Supreme Court. Um, He was more of in in a they they more so cc'd him. They 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 mostly wanted him to know that this is happening. um, If he didn't know already, in in his capacity as the head of the um, federal judiciary governing body, he could be called upon to move this dispute to a different circuit. Wow. All right. Well, that was Kelsey Griffiths and Kastu Basu uh, talking with us about a very interesting case in the federal circuit. Thank you guys so much for talking. Thank you. Thank you very much. That'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. 
Our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Taxes and accounting are complicated, but finding a good tax podcast shouldn't be. Listen to Talking Tax, the podcast that breaks down all of these issues on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, Talking Tax will explain the latest issues for you, from corporate filings to diversity within the profession, and even the latest on the burgeoning cannabis industry. Download and subscribe to Bloomberg Taxes Talking Tax, wherever you get your podcasts.